Oh, that's good. I, I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome. Uh, if you're a guest, we especially welcome you. If you're live streaming, we uh, definitely welcome you. We're getting more and more people weekly commenting about uh, being able to live stream, so that's a, that's a good thing. I know some of you ladies were at the retreat this weekend. Some are still there coming home sometime today. And uh, so I talked to my wife, and she said things went great. Uh, the Lord was present, moving in the hearts of lives of, of women. So I look forward to hearing all about that. Always my prayer is that uh, whether it's our students or our ladies or our men or someone that goes on a retreat or a conference, whatever God does there infiltrates the whole body. That's always my prayer. That God, you just come. Whatever you did there, you just do it here. We we welcome it. We really do. I want you to get your devices or your Bibles and turn with me to First Peter chapter three and let's stand, read God's word. So if you can stand, First Peter chapter three. You got it. Hold it. You see it. I want to make sure you're. It, it also is good that if you don't have one, just snuggle up to the person next to you and, and read it. God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8 to verse 12 today, and then we're going to pray. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Let's uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. I want to ask you to just to do something, Would, either by your side or out in front of you. Just hold your hands open. Just let it be a symbolism of you just wanting to let go and receive from the Lord today. So let me just pray over us. Almighty God, we catch our breath. Lord, we are so frazzled and busy that we don't know how to get still. And Lord, I just pray right now that we would just get still and know that you are God. Lord, our hands are open as, a, as a, just a gesture that we want to let go of the things of earth at this moment. We want to let go of the busyness and the worries and the stresses and the pains and just say, Lord, fill us up. Lord, these songs have, have really registered in our heart that we want to see heaven touch earth. Now, Lord, would you speak to us through your word clearly. Change us. Transform us. Make us different than how we came in. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're, in, we're walking through First Peter and we're calling it uh, Life on Mission. And uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard the toddler's rules. These are the toddler's rules when it comes to objects, okay? So uh, if you've never heard them before, here we go. I think you'll catch on pretty quick. Number one, this is toddler rules. Number one, if I want it, it's... 
Oh, there you go. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's... There you go. Number three, if I can take it away from you, it's... Number four, and if I hit it a little while ago, it's... There you go. See, y'all know these answers. There, there's ten of them, so here we go a little bit farther. Uh, number five, if it's mine... It must have never appeared to be yours in any way. Number six, if we're building something together, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it just looks like mine, it's mine. Number eight, if I think it's mine, it's mine. And number nine, if I give it to you and change my mind later, it's mine. And number ten, if it's broken, it's... There you go. See, you know... You know the toddler's rules. And we, and we hear those, and we, and we think about uh, finding Nemo and the, and the seagulls, mine, 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 mine. It just echoes uh, from the time little toddlers, and we just hide it better, don't we? We still are toddlers to a certain degree, mine, 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 mine. And as we go through First Peter, what we're learning is, is that the Christian life is not about me. It's not about mine, 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 mine. It's about how we can give ourselves away. How we can do the opposite of mine. It's not about me. It's truly about you. It's truly about what God has done. And I want you to know it. And so Peter has walked through these areas of life. First of all, he says that we're aliens and strangers. We're sojourners. We're just working our way through. We're, this is not our final destination. We're all, if, if Jesus tarries to come, we are all going to step out of these earth suits someday. This is not home for us. And then he, he began, we, we've looked at three specific areas that we are to live life on mission in. We, first of all, we, we look at life on mission when it came to the government. He says you need to submit to the government. Now that is very difficult, right? And we think, oh man, you know, I, I look at our government, I look at a lot of things. It's nothing compared to what they were going through in first first century. They were under the the uh, the the incredible impre- impression of the Roman government. Nero was taking these Christ followers, and he was having them killed. I mean, this is what was taking place. So, but yet here comes Peter, and he says, "Submit to the government. Why? So that you can have influence. So that you can live life on mission, even under the government." And then he talked about we talked about slaves and masters. Since slaves and masters don't work, we we looked at employer and employees are students, and that this is your mission field. Remember, we prayed over to commission you as you go into your mission field Monday. It's not how good you can be in here on Sunday. We all look good. Just look around. Everybody looks really good, don't they? See them at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, and let's see if it's the same way. But we are going into our mission fields. That's what we're called to do. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the family. We talked about the institution of the family, especially the relationship of the husband and wife and how that, that, that represents God. And we live life on mission in our home. So this is where Peter has dealt with this all along. Today, he takes us uh, to, the, to the next one. He says, finally. Finally doesn't mean he's at the end of the letter. He still has two more chapters, even though he didn't write it in chapter format originally. But there's going to be two more chapters. He says, finally, under this discourse of how you're to live life on mission in these areas, I've got one more for you. I've got one more for you. 
And uh, before I tell you what that one is, we kind of read about it, but to, to draw attention to it, uh, I, I want to share with you something. Uh, in my neighborhood, we do, just like your subdivision probably does, you do those yard of the month signs? Do they do those in yours? I don't know how they determine that. I don't win it. But uh, I work hard, though, uh, but I'm not out for it. But uh, there was one particular family that won the Yard of the Month Club. And I noticed it. And I thought, man, and their yard was great. Don't get me wrong. It was immaculate. It, it, uh, the grass was mowed. No garbage in it. Uh, it was, uh, the bushes were trimmed really nice. Trees were uh, pruned back. It was great. It was great. They, they deserve it. And, and so I applaud that about them. But, you see, my dog and I, we walk the neighborhood all the time. We, we walk it in the morning, early. We walk it in, in the evening, late. And there's been many times that I've walked by this particular house, and that husband and wife are going at it, man. I mean, they're screaming and cussing at each other. And I'm thinking, whoa, maybe they got the yard of the month, but what's going on inside this home is out of control. Peter's going to talk about the church today, the family of Christ followers. And he's going to talk about what really makes a congregation special. It's not buildings. It's not all the exteriors. He's going to deal with the attitude and the quality of the character of the heart. And yet, sometimes we measure things by what we see, don't we? It's the yard of the month. Inside that family's busting apart, but doesn't the yard look good? That church has the buildings, it has the budgets, it's running a lot of people. But sometimes we get to the heart of the character and it's just not there. And so Peter has dealt with all of these things. He's dealt with, with the government. He's dealt with the institution of the, of the workplace. He's dealt with the institution of the family. Now he's going to deal with the institution of the church. And so he says, finally, we're going to come to one more. And he said, this involves all of you. And so it wasn't just first century B.C., uh, excuse me, A.D. It was all of us as well. So let's look at this. And we're going to break it down. I always encourage you to to take notes just to uh, let it register inside of you a little bit better. And so the first one is this. You can just simply write down. Right attitude. You must have the right attitude. And what, what Peter does here is he breaks down verse 8 into five different attitudes that ought to be in, in, the, in the body of faith, in the, in the children of Christ's followers. He says this, number one, he says, they are to be like-minded. Like-minded. Um, the, the definition of that may simply be like this. Cooperation in the midst of diversity. Cooperation in the midst of diversity. People often talk about the unity of the church, and sometimes they want to define it as uniformity of the church. God never intended for us to be uniform. And uniformity, I mean that we just represent, we just all look alike, we all like the same things, we all do the same things. I'm telling you what, if, if there was more than one of me in this church, I would probably leave. Because I, I, God loves diversity. But yet, sometimes we think it's uniformity. The, the Pharisees wanted uniformity. Everybody needs to fit into this category. I, I don't believe that at all. I do believe, though, 
that God desires for there to be unity and like-mindedness among his people. Uh, it, it's, it's like this, though. There are essentials, and then there are other things that we deal with. What Peter is dealing with here, he's dealing with the essentials of the faith ought to be like-minded among all of you. I tell you what, I love this community. I, I, I get a chance to work with some of the best pastors on this planet, not just on our staff, but in this community. And I have the opportunity to meet with them. And there's, there's times, the last meeting we had, there was over 70 of us just gathering to eat lunch and, and gather. And if you were to come to that meeting, you would see a unity that exists among these guys. But I'm telling you, it's not uniformity. We agree on the essentials. Well, what are the essentials? The scriptures are the word of God, the inerrant word of God. That God so loved us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is in no one else other than Jesus. We believe that. We all believe that. But if we wanted to think, oh, no, we need to become uniformity. We need to be all the same. It's not going to work. We're not going to agree because the Bible is, is just not fully clear on on some things. We, so we practice particular things here, but there is a unity of the faith that takes place. So what Peter is saying is, he says, you need to be like-minded. You need to have the essentials together and let the secondaries be the secondaries. I could divide you real quick if I wanted to. I can divide a church really quickly. Uh, all we need to do is say, we're going to vote on the color of carpet we want in here. The next thing you know is we have a church split. Oh, we, we, we're going to do choruses or we're going to be hymns? Oh, that hurt a little bit. I can split you really quick. We're going to use the King James. We're going to use another version of the Scriptures. See, there are essentials, and then there are secondary issues. What Peter is getting across, you need to be like-minded. You need to be on, you need to be grounded in the essentials. And don't let the secondaries tear you apart. Be grounded in the essentials. So that's the first one he says is be uh, like-minded. The second one he said is you need to be sympathetic. Sympathetic literally means you feel for somebody else. Uh, Paul said this in Romans 12. He said, you need to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. There needs to be this, uh, this weeping together, this rejoicing together that we feel for each other, that we feel what each other is going through. There was a dad, his, his little girl came in the door and she'd been gone a while and he, he simply asked her, said, honey, where have you been for so long? And he said, I was down at Susie's house. Susie's doll broke. So what did you do, honey? Did you just tell her you're sorry and come home? He said, no, dad. I just sat on the curb and wept with her. And I think sometimes that's what we need. It's just somebody to be there. We don't, we don't need it all fixed. Sometimes everybody, especially us guys, we're terrible about this. We just want to fix it. Okay, what's the problem? Let me fix it. Let me just fix it. But sometimes we just need somebody to sit there while we're going through it. And that's what Peter's saying. You need to be sympathetic with one another. The third one that he throws out is this. He says, you are to love one another. Love one another. Um, the literal translation is 
love as brothers or brothers you are to love. In other words, there's a family appeal. You need to, because if I said love like brothers, some of you grew up in a house full of brothers and said, whoa, not going to happen, not going to happen. But when he says brothers, family, you need to love. You need to love. One of the things they said about the, the, the early church was they would try to figure them out. The Romans would try to figure them out. So they would send plants in to see what they were doing. And, and they would send them in and they would come out and say things like, they just meet in a big old open room. They sing some songs. They talk about a guy who's no longer there, who rose from the dead. But man, how they loved. How they loved. Peter is saying, listen, this is what it's all about. Love as brothers. Have a deep love for one another. You're part of a family here. And, and, and sometimes I will use this, and, and I, I say it tongue-in-cheek, and I'm trying to get better at it, not saying this. But, you know, we say we love everybody, but there's certain people I don't like. You know, we, we, we say that to give us an excuse out. I think the Lord is, is really saying here, you love. You truly love. That's, what, that's what's going to set you apart. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have one for another. Colonel Sanders, the chicken guy, story is told of, of he was on an airplane flying, and as he was flying, there was a child that was crying on the plane. Now, you know what it's like when a child cries on the plane. If it's your child, you're all embarrassed for everybody else who's thinking, when we're going to land or get that kid under control. And the story goes that Colonel Sanders went and he picked up the child and he held it and he began to rock it in his seat until the, the child went to sleep and they made it safely down on the plane. When they landed... One of the person in the plane says, man, I'm so glad you did that for us. And the words that Colonel Sanders said back says, I did not do it for us. I did it for the child. And, you know, we sometimes think, oh, this is irritating to all of us. But if we can learn to love truly, we're going to learn because people are of great value. That's what Peter's getting across. People are of great value. We need to love. And you remember, I think Peter's got all these stuff going through his head. You remember when uh, Jesus restored Peter by the waterfront? If you've not, it, it's in the end of the Gospel of John. They're walking along, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I love you like a brother. Remember that? That's what it says. And then Jesus gave him something to do. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. And I think, Peter, this is echoing him. Man, brothers, you need to love. You need to love. Two more. He said, be compassionate, be compassionate. Uh, this, this literally means tenderhearted. The, the original Greek, you ready for this? I, 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 I kid you not. It means have good bowels. Now, I, I'm serious here. Have good bowels. And you're thinking, Mark, you're talking about bowels in a sermon. We do the same thing. I feel it in my gut. I feel it in the deepest part of me. In other words, I am hurting with you. I'm not just feeling for you. I am hurting with you in the midst of what you're going through. And Peter said, you need to be compassionate. We feel each other's pain. We become deeply concerned. We're willing to walk in their shoes so that they're not alone in what they're going through. Be compassionate. And then he has one more that he lays out here. He says, be humble. 
Be humble. Be courteous. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Think of others as more important than yourself, as it says in Philippians. Put others first. My wife, I don't know where she picked it up, but it's in our guest's bathroom. There's a little sign over the toilet that says, everyone wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper. I think that's a great sign. Everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper. What Peter is getting across here is, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to walk in humility. You need to be humble. Be willing to change the toilet paper. These are the attitudes of the church. Notice he didn't say you have a big building. Notice he didn't say your programs are really good. Notice he didn't say your music is just great. The preaching is just great. He measures it by the attitude of the heart. That's the scorecard we've got to use. Have we got the right attitude? I read this quote that says, to change your at- you change your attitude by being the person you desire to be. That's good. That's good. So number one was we need to have the right attitude. And then in verse 9, we got to have the right response. You see, we live in a world that's dark, and if we're going to shine light into it, there's going to be struggles that are going to happen. These are going to come. There's going to be evil. And so when this evil comes, that uh, Peter says you've got to have the right response. And this response is going to be gentle. You, you don't revile or pay back in revenge. You see, there was, a, there was a law known as lex talionis. You know what it is, even though you may not know the, the term there. Lex talionis was where we get an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, you take my eye out, I take a, your eye out. Uh, you take a cow from me, I take a cow from you. That's, you know, it's evil. It's even is what you try to do. And, and, and it's, you're thinking, man, that's, that's tough culture. Well, when you think about it, it was actually mercy because usually when you take my eye out, I'm going to take your head off. You know, you, you see, it's, it keeps from seeking full revenge, lex talionis. And in fact, the Old Testament, we see that. And then along comes Jesus. And Jesus says, you've heard it said of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist evil. If anybody, if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him your other as well. If someone sues you, sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile with him, go two. Do not refuse the one that would beg from you and do not deny the one that would borrow from you. He, he, Jesus laid it out here. These words are echoing in Peter's head and his spirit is making him alive in his spirit. He says, do not seek revenge. Do not give evil for evil. Do not let this happen. But what you need to do is you need to love your enemies. You need to bless them. And as you bless them, you will receive blessing back upon that. It, it's, it's like seeing all people are of great value. They're great value. Pray. Pray for your enemies. And when you see that... Uh, you remember Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and you will be sons of your Father who is in heaven, who has his Son to raise on the evil and the good, and his reigns to fall on the just and the unjust. And then he says this, if you only love those who love you, you're just like the tax gatherers. What good is that? In other words, if you're living just like the world lives, what makes you any difference as followers of Jesus? You're just like the world. And then he says, if you only greet those who greet you, you're just like the Gentiles. You must be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. That's what Jesus said. And these are echoing in Peter's ears as he hears this. And he says, bless. We need to be blessing, not acting like the world. We got to be different. So there's a real response that we, a right response we give. And then the last thing, right quick, is the right motivation. In verse 10, he quotes from Psalm 34. Forever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. We would all in this room want, want to love life and see good days, wouldn't you? I mean, everybody wants a good life and to see uh, good days. You want to do that. Um, but sometimes we wake up just pitiful. It, it's just not that way. But, but he's quoting Psalm 34. I was walking down my street one day, walking my dog early in the morning. It was about 6.30. And uh, I'm walking along, and down the street, there's a family. They have three kids, love this family to death. And the older one's in the fifth grade. And he, it, it's 6.30 in the morning, okay? He busts out of the door, and he says, Good morning, world! He didn't know I was around, but good morning, world! And I, I, I was talking to his folks later, and I told him about that. And, and uh, they said, he just loves life. He just loves life. And, and, and Peter's quoting Psalm 34. He said, who, who doesn't want a good uh, life? Who wants to live life to the full? But there, there's a motive that comes from the attitude and the response. Why would we even want to be that way? So three quick things under motivation. Number one is this. God says so. Psalm 34, God said it. That settles it, right? I mean, God said that, that you need to do this. God says you need to love life. You need to, you need to love other people. You need to speak well of other people. You need to not turn evil to do good. You, you want to do good. God is in charge. So the first reason for motive to live this way is because God said it. The second one is God sees it and he knows it all. He knows it all. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows when that person spoke evil of you. He knows when your finances are low. He knows when your health is bad. He knows when your relationships are in a glitch. He knows when things are great. He knows when your kids are good. He knows when they're not doing good, when they're wandering. He is aware of everything. So if he is aware of everything, then listen, you be a blessing to others. You be a blessing to others because I will take care of you. The Lord says that. So he, he says so, he sees all, and thirdly, God blesses. It just says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he hear, he, his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who are evil. He blesses. God blesses when you walk in obedience. He, he blesses on us. Uh, he shows his reality to other people as he blesses us. And sometimes God, hear this. For this is for somebody in this room. Sometimes God does not change your circumstances, but he changes you in the midst of your circumstances. Philippians 4, Paul 
has gone through it all. And he says, I've learned to be content in all things. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says it right there when he's in jail. Many people want to use that as a T-shirt bumper sticker. I'm really? Go to jail and then wear it and see how it goes at that point. But he's learned to be content in all things. And, And that's sometimes what the Lord wants to do. So church, when he comes to you and me, he says you need to have the right attitude. You need to have the right response when people don't respond the way you think they should respond. You you respond with blessing. And then you need to have the right motivation, the right motives behind that. The church is made up of individuals. Our campus is right here. But when people say to me, where is Central located? I want to say, well, some of them are at the schools. Some of them are at Dell. Some of them are working for the city. Some of them are doing this because it's made up of people. So the strength of the church is not built upon even our organization. It's built upon the character of each individual. Some of us are walking in defeat today. I end with this. There was a a uh, couple by the name of Ira and Ann Yates. Ira and Ann Yates. They purchased some property out in West Texas, and uh, this was in the 1920s. And uh, the property was going to be used to raise their cattle and their sheep on and this kind of thing, and they just weren't making it. They weren't making ends meet. They actually started uh, to have to receive uh, extra from the government just to exist. And they were afraid they were going to have to get rid of the land. And Ira, who was the guy, he had an idea. He had heard about some people that were doing some um, mineral work. And he just approached them and said, would you be willing to come out to my property and just do some mineral work out there? The guys came, came out in 1926. They started pumping down, and they got 1,100 feet in, and they hit what became known as the Yates Pool. It was oil that is still in great abundance today. In fact, if you hear the town called Ira Ann in Texas, it was named after Ira and Ann Yates. They were getting subsidy from the government when they're living on a vast pool of resources. Why do I say that? Listen, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are tapped into a vast pool of resources. And sometimes we live like we need others to subsidize what we're doing. And you know I'm not talking about name it, claim it wealth. I'm talking about the power of God to flow through us. And that's what I ask. Some of you today are thinking, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I think I need to give up. I, I, I just don't know. Let me tell you, you are on a vast sum of resources if you're willing to tap in to His Spirit.